presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean, sit down with the executive director of A-STEAM Village, William Wells Jr., for a conversation on a STEAM dream. Up first is Corning Incorporated's manager of technical talent pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's senior technology editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, William Wells Jr. Wells Jr. is responsible for running over 20 innovative STEM programs and adult certification readiness in the IT sector. Under William's leadership, a STEAM Village was recognized as the 2019-2020 Nesby Jr. Pre-College Initiative National Chapter of the Year. Wells Jr. is committed to supporting today's youth as they emerge today as the leaders of tomorrow. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean. Well, thank you so much, Brandon, and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another episode of High Tech Sunday. Such a great pleasure to have you with us once again. And as is always the case, really excited about today's conversation as we look at a STEAM dream. I'm telling you, to me, that is what is foundational to everything we talk about on High Tech Sunday. And who better to talk to us about that than William Wells himself? Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Dr. Vaughn. How are you? I'm great, and I'm glad to be here. Absolutely great to meet you. And like I said, looking forward to the conversation today. Got a lot of ground that we want to cover and looking forward to learning about the endeavors that you are actually driving so many important programs. But before we get into that, we want to learn a little bit more about you. So we encourage our uh, guests to kind of just take a step back and uh, give us an insight about how it is that you came to uh, this place in your journey. So as you look over uh, your life, how did you get connected to STEM in the first place? What was it that really lit the fire for you? Wow, that's a great question. And I'll try to cover 57 years in three minutes if possible. All right, so I was, um, I'm, 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 I'm blessed in the fact that I was raised with both my mother and my father in the home, right? I was not blessed in the fact that I did not have a brother or a sister. I'm the only child. So my sibling was always a Dotson. And that means that if anything went down, it was on me. But more importantly, <laughs> more importantly, I was able to dream. So, you know, you had to play a lot of one-on-one basketball with one-on-one being against yourself. You had to play a lot of one-on-one baseball with one-on-one being yourself. And I got into like, um, I don't know if you guys remember the electric football games. And so I used to play a lot of electric football games. I would cover, I mean, I would collect all of the teams. But when I first, as I look back on it, I was that kid that took the regular electric football game and some cardboard boxes and made a stadium, right? So I basically built a stadium around the electric football team and I would swap it out depending on who was home and who was away. And so I guess the main thing is it allowed me to dream, right? It allowed me to put myself in places and environments that I'd never was in. And I had a a group of friends that hung around me that thought like that. Now having, you know, going through, um, my parents were head dietitians at two hospitals. So um, I can't say that I had a hard life coming up, but I I made sure, they made sure, because my mom graduated from Tuskegee, dad from Arkansas, Pine Bluff, they made sure that, you know, I was brought up in the black church. I, I, most of my most of my friends and most of my schools were predominantly black, right? And we were moving up. As we look back, we realize a lot of things that we have been thinking at 15, 20, 25, the way we are today, we would have covered a lot of ground. But, you know, short story is I like to dream. I've always dreamed. Ended up getting into telecommunications. 
um, brought the, um, built out the first wireless network in Kansas City, Missouri, that was owned by African-American male. I bypassed the big boys, AT&T and Time Warner using fixed wireless. And my plan was to deliver it to the developing lofts in downtown and raise enough capital so that then I can take it east of truce. And this is 1999, east of truce is where the underserved, underrepresented uh, populations are and connectivity was, was waning. And um, what I realized early on is that, hey, internet's changing the game. Doesn't matter who you know, doesn't matter how much capital you have, and really the people that are making the money, they understand as much as internet as that person needs to choose who doesn't understand it. Because the whole push was, let's get um, computers and PCs into every home and every business and getting them, get them running on them. But there was no push on teaching people how they work, teaching people how to program. And now we're in a new different economy. We're in the knowledge and information based economy. And that's a requirement to be able to participate in the economy. So everything that we're doing is trying to make sure that an entire group of black and brown children, black and brown parents can participate in the economy and know that they can participate in the economy. And sometimes we have to teach the parents through the kids because when that kid goes home and says, look at this periodic table, I know what these elements are, right? That kind of, that, then that parent says, whoa, they start learning with the kid. So. Long story short, I hope I answered your question. <laughs> you did, and, 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 and you inspired uh, several more. We might have to go three hours on this. I don't know, but uh, this will be part one. Uh, but uh, you, when, you, when you were talking about uh, some of the history that you made, I, I, I was blown away that you were part of actually wiring up communities 20 plus years ago and how critically important that is, especially as we are continuing to uh, wrestle with and, and acknowledge uh, the inequities that uh, were front and center as we were in the lockdowns of the pandemic and still coming out of them. Mm -hmm. So you said that as you were growing up, uh, you were able to dream. And that is so cool to hear that it was a real part of how you were shaped. But you also said uh, that you were raised to be a man of faith. So can, can you say more about how your experience in the church actually kind of has given you that passion, that motivation for serving, which is what a STEAM dream really seems to be all about? Yeah, I, I, can, I can definitely touch on that. So yeah, my you know, my father's not with me anymore, but my father and my mom, and, and it was a, a process of evolution, right? From when I was a child living under mom and dad's roof, I was in church, right? And when they found out, they heard me singing in the bathroom, now I'm in the choir, right? So, <laughs> and so um, they definitely raised me in the church. Um, my mom, who will be 80 in October, she still serves religiously in the church and she always has um usher board she still ushers right um she when my dad passed she started a grief counseling ministry and now she served this grief counseling ministry for the past five six seven years in the church right to help others as they go through the process of grieving now my dad my dad is a, he, he was a guy that didn't call, he, he called balls and strikes without any indifference to who was in the, in the batter's box and who was on the plate. So, you know, one of the pastors asked my dad, said, I want you to be a, de a deacon. And my dad said, no, you don't. He said, why? He said, I'm not a, I'm not a yes man. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, and, and so my dad, I could have these deep conversations with him. And so there was a period of time where I wasn't in the church. But I was starting to come back in because life was hitting me upside the head. And I knew that I needed to get some, I needed to get some grounding. And he told me, he said, you know, I've asked, how do you know what's right, what's wrong? You know, when you're talking about tithing and paying your bills and all this, he said, son, it's just like everything in life. You have to take the good and stay with that and be able to, do, to toss what's not good. You have to be able to make your own decisions, right? And so um, my mother was leading a series called Purpose Driven Life. And that really caught me that and, and I saw the church actually grow. Right. 
But then that, that thing that usually stops us came into the play, which is called Fractions and Politics. And so when the program went away, then the church started self-splintering. And that, that kind of disheartened me because I, I was at a point where I was giving my all to, you know, to, to, to walk this walk. And then I settled upon some, Dr. Vaughn. Um, the book of Proverbs, there are 31 chapters. And then um, Psalms, Psalms 11, Psalms 15, it basically says, this is what you need to do to sit with God, right? And then in the book of Proverbs, it says, hey, in order to love God, you have to seek out knowledge. You have to seek out wisdom. And, and I thought, and I, and I don't know if it was, a, I connected that to the economy that we're in today, right? Mm -hmm. The knowledge and information-based economy. And so as I tell all of these kids, even with the STEM programming, our curriculum is basically, the foundation of it is core values, engineering design process. And using both of those things and applying them to everything you do in life it's really just saying, hey, just be a good person. Just be a selfless person. And if you can be a good person, you can be a selfless person. Somebody like Dr. Vaughn will take you in with less talent and work with you because they can teach you the technical. They cannot teach you the non-technical. And so when people say, well, you got a great program, you got this and that, and you're doing robotics, and all, yeah, the robotics is all the commercialization that gets the kids there. But at the end of the day, we're trying to teach them how to communicate how to fail and know that that doesn't define you. You have to fail several times to get to any success. Everybody has to, every product has done that. And so, yeah, that, and, and so with that just connects me back to my spiritual grounding, just trying to be a good person, just trying to be a good person. Wow, wow. You said so much as you were speaking, especially about how it is that while we can uh, support and we can provide guidance and direction and tools, uh, the things that come from within are what you bring to the table, that, that drive, that motivation, uh, that will. And it sounds like that is the thing that you have figured out how to really tap into uh, as you look at the work of a STEAM Village. So let, let's, just, let's just talk about that. You're the executive director of a STEAM Village. Can you talk to us about your organization and how you became associated with it? Yeah, I, I'd be glad to tell you that story. Um, so as I was doing my broadband, and I noticed that there was a lot of people that weren't really getting to the root of where the money was going to be and what it was going to take to sustain it. Um, I helped a charter school, they're closed now, but I helped them get a program called Reading and Robotics into their school. And um, the vendor, um, Pisco Education, which is two hours south of here, they make all the robotics equipment and, and um, for all of the international first teams, little small town south of here. And the CEO invited me to St. Louis, Chocolate City, to see the International Robotics Championship. And here I see 30,000 kids from all over the world. When I say all over the world, I'm talking about Qatar, Ukraine, Russia, um, South Africa. Um, there was a team there, and I see Mexico. There were five teams there from Mexico. And I'm looking, I'm blown away because you cannot see out of these 30,000 kids that had descended upon St. Louis from all over the world, you could not tell who was winning and who was losing. They were all just having fun. They were supporting each other. During the opening ceremony, there were a group of kids on the same stage dancing and singing during the opening ceremony. And if you turned on CNN back at home, their two countries were at war literally at the same time, right? And that just turned the, turned the light on for me to start looking at things differently. But more importantly, and the sad thing was, despite this being in St. Louis, I did not see any black and brown children from St. Louis there, even as mm -hmm. touring, even just to see that it was like, there was no representation there. And at that time, there was maybe two or three inner city teams from the United States that was there. And so I went back and I asked the superintendent, I said, hey, and this, this school was ranked number two from the bottom in the entire state of Missouri as far as 
scores, right? And the black administration, 99% free and reduced lunch. I asked her, could I start the robotics program? And she said, yes. And I knew I had to do it basically in a bubble because I needed to try to create a different environment, a different mindset. And we took the kids the first year, we didn't make it past the qualifier with one team, right? We didn't make it past the qualifier, but I also realized how foreign Legos and engineering were to these fifth and sixth graders. So I said, we need to start early, right? And um, so we, we started a first to third grade robotics team and they got invited to the world festival during the first year. So not only did we have this, these six, seven, I mean, these six students from the first and third grade that were actually competing in the World Festival, we took that entire first year cohort of students over to St. Louis so that they could experience it for themselves. And by doing that, their lights went on, their parents' lights went on. And when they came back that following year, our second year, we came back with two teams. Remember, we went from one to two. Well, we went from two to actually three because we had that one junior FLF team. But both of those teams advanced out of the qualifier that they didn't advance out of the year before. They went to the championship at the, the Greater Kansas City Championship, and both of those teams placed and won two awards. Did they win awards for robot performance? No. They won awards for their presentation, the research, they won awards for gracious professionalism, which means they were being good kids. And then the third year that those two teams returned, advanced out of the qualifier, made it to the championship. One of them made it to the championship as the champion's award winner, which is the highest award you can win during a competition to qualify. And it, it tickles me to this day because they have the students and the volunteers hand out medals. And the kid came back to me and said, Mr. Wells, Mr. Wells, they told me that they had never seen an all-black robotics team before when they gave me my medal. Wow. <laughs> I thought that was funny, but the thing that sticks to me, despite them winning that award, because we tell them the awards you win don't matter, but what you learn along the way, that's one of our core values. That matters, not the award, but what you learned along the way. But I just remember when we got back to the school after that competition and the pride of these young people and their happiness. And then I heard one of them say, yeah, but now I got to go home. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be smoking and drinking. And then one of his friends said, yeah, but at least you're going to have some food there. He said, true, true. And that, and that just stuck with me of the mindset that our young people, they're, not as, they're, they're awake to what's happening in their environment. Right, and it's important for us, and that's one of the things I hammer on to our camp leads and our camp counselors. When those children come into our space and they're working with you, they become your children, they become your brothers, they become your sisters, they become your nieces, they become your nephews, and that means you have to be engaged with them because it's not a, it's not a given that they're going to have parents that are fully engaged with them. At, during that time and not because they don't want to be sometimes it's because I don't know and I don't want you to know I don't know so I'm going to stay away from that sometimes it's because I'm too busy trying to keep this roof over your head keep our car running so that I can't get you to these other places so there's a lot of things that go into it and for me the only way that we can change that, because all of, all of those things are indicative of a parent trying to raise her family or, or a father trying to lead his family, but doing so because he is living in um, survival mode, right? And when you are living in survival mode, you have a whole different decision process. And that takes me back to the engineering design process, right? It take, you have a whole different set of projects because you can't fail on certain things or else that light goes out light goes out it causes a whole bunch of other problems like you can't do your homework in the dark so for me our program would not be authentic our program would not be correct if we were not trying to make sure that every kid that comes through our program regardless of their grade regardless of their age and their parents realize that hey 
our success is based on these things that we put you on a pathway to where you are empowered to make your own decisions and land in college readiness to go toward a STEM field where it's high growth, um, entrepreneurship in high tech, or immediately into the workplace if college is not for you or you want to go into the workplace, make your thirty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year so then you can pay for your college on your own and emerge from college debt-free. Because at the end of the day, that's what's important. Because if you go to college and you come out with $200,000, you're really in the same boat you were in before you got there. So we have to think a lot deeper and we try to make sure that our program pushes them to pushes the kids and the families to say, this is the mission and we want you to roll with us. But if you're not going to roll in this direction, then, you know, we, 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 we can't roll because um, this is this is important work. Um, you know, the, the kids there, you know, I just got a call from a mother yesterday that said, hey, um, my daughter wasn't hasn't been there the last day she won't be there today she won't be back until friday because my son was murdered last night wow. and so i had to tell and, and so i had to tell my kids i said hey this is what happened she won't be back till friday but trust me the the, the young lady that comes into our camp on friday is not going to be the same young lady that left our camp last friday because life has intervened and so for me if the more kids that we keep in front of computers, in front of robots, in front of race cars, and looking at their community, teaching them why are communities like this and how can we make them better, looking at, you know, problems are not problems, problems are opportunity. And if you can solve a problem, you can market that problem, and that gets you into the economy. The more kids and more families that we get doing that, the more kids and more families we keep out of harm's way of life, because at the end of the day, you do have to enter, you, you do have to mix with everybody in public and some people just aren't on the same trajectory. And we want to just create another trajectory. I always affectionately say we want to be the MIT of the hood. <laughs> so you really said some important things that I want to kind of recap quickly. Uh, this all started, you said, because while you were doing your broadband work, minding your own business, let's say, uh, you became aware of an opportunity. You said not a problem, an opportunity. And you seized up on that because it really was, I believe, uh, you're thinking that you could make a difference. And then you fast forward and you think about the really remarkable evolution of the teams that you all began to enter into the competitions and they wound up if you will front and center in just a matter of years to the degree that people were amazed to see that they had arisen to that level uh, is is really a testament to what it is that you all have been able to accomplish with ASTEAM. But then when we think about the tragedy that this family experienced just this week with the loss of that brother, and in the midst of everything that that mom had to be dealing with emotionally, as well as from, uh, you know, the perspective of having to deal with arrangements and all of that at the loss of her son, this was so important that she called to say that her child wouldn't be with you for several days. That is amazing that it was that important to what her daughter uh, has been experiencing, that you were on the call list, uh, that Ace team was on the call list, and you said that life intervened. But you also said the mother said that this child will be back. And so being able to see that tension, life is happening, but this is happening, and uh, this Ace team experience is going to hopefully help this child not have so much of the the life that 
intervenes in the negative, but is being equipped in a way that is going to be a positive influence. And so we know that you're in the middle of your summer camps. You mentioned that, and you uh, were sharing with us about the engineering design principles and how it is that you are, are equipping these kids, uh, not only with tools, but with, really with a change of perspective. What would you say is your favorite part about being involved with ASTEAM these days? Uh, the, my favorite part is the same thing always, just watching the kids evolve, watching them bring brilliant ideas to the forefront that actually industry, adults, governments could use, right? But they don't get to be a part of the voice. And that's a part of what we're doing is making sure that as middle school and high school students, they get to voice their opinion. I, I wanted that young lady, the mom brought her to us saying that my daughter wants to be a mechanical engineer. Now, I don't know what led her to want to be a mechanical engineer. Um, if she met one, if she saw a movie about one, but that's what she wants to be. So that daughter is dreaming, right? And so it's imperative for us to keep that light on. I just wanted to kind of dovetail and, and, and touch on that, that point because that's, that's very real. It, it's very real. That engineering design process, I tell the kids this, and you guys might think I'm crazy when I say this, but I tell them this. I say, look, if you ask 99% of, of, of adults and educators throughout the world what is technology, they're going to respond, devices, smartphones, internet, and all of that, right? And I said, and there's nothing in my mind, and it's my opinion, but I said, really, that's not the truth. The truth is the technology is you. All of that other stuff doesn't move unless you tell it to move. Unless you put something out of your mind into that computer, that input will produce something. And I, so I always tell them, you know, the input, if you put trash in, you're going to get trash out. You put hard work in, you're going to get hard work out. You, you, you aim for solving a problem and you put your effort in and you give it authentic and hard and, and, and keep keep failing, collecting while you fail, solving that point of failure, and then you'll eventually get to a success. There are two, two types of people in this world. I mean, I keep it this simple, right? They're good, they're happy people, and they're unhappy people, right? And, and one thing is going to impact both sets of people, and that's problems, right? And that unhappy person is going to talk about that problem, complain about that problem, and continue to talk about it more, tell their friend about the problem. But those happy people are gonna look at that problem and say, ah, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity for a solution. This brother over here is tired of walking on these rocks and his bare feet. Maybe I'll invent a shoe. And if I can get the shoe, invent the shoe and make it work, now I can sell it. Now I'm in business. So if I can get you to start thinking about being a producer, because that's what that is as a producer, as opposed to being a consumer, because a person that just complains about the problem, they're going to have to reach in their pocket and pay somebody for their solution to make that problem go away. Then, you know, if we can change that mindset in a massive, in, a, in, in mass, right? Not just 10 to 20 kids at each school, but if we can get entire communities from the top down to, 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 to do that, I, I think that, 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 that's when we can have some impact and we can see a lot of these other ills as far as crime, dropout rate, um, poverty. We can start seeing those things go down simply because we have a knowledge and information based economy that we have to we're in now. Our kids will be in tomorrow. So let's start using our knowledge and information to start to make things better within our community. Absolutely. And, and I'm telling you, you are talking my language uh, when you talk about this idea of consumer versus producer. We, we certainly understand that it is the case. We, we would say uh, that our young people, they may not have a clue sometimes about what makes that Xbox or that PS5 or, or even that, that uh, uh, the latest phone gadget, what makes it do what it does, uh, but they certainly know how to make it do what it does or, or use its functionality, but uh, it's all consumer uh, without the producer. That is exactly the language I think that needs to be used. And, and it's really encouraging to hear you say that 
in the pre-meeting, uh, you talked about the connection between, uh, a really important connection between community and STEAM, STEM. Can you talk to us about how you see the engagement in STEM connecting to the community at all levels, local, state, national? Absolutely. So, and I make the connection not only to STEM, but STEAM, right? The science, the technology, the engineering, the arts, uh, math, right? And, and, and the engineering design process to, you know, improve something, find, identify a problem, and then go through the process collectively as a team or as a community to make that better, right? Um, to make that become... Um, that lot become a useful parcel for that community to help that community and raise the value of that community. We've seen a lot of cities talk about smart city initiatives. And a lot of the smart city initiatives have been basically IoT is the next buzzword that comes out of the Internet of Things, where you start just throwing devices on light poles or kiosks at bus stops and and <clears throat> Then we talk about we have a lack of affordable housing um, or, you know, there's nothing for the young people to do. Well, the connection for me is this, that in order for a community, especially if it's an underserved, underrepresented community, in order for that community to thrive and grow and prosper and be made up of citizens that are thriving, growing and prospering, they have to be connected to the local economy. Usually it's an underrepresented, underserved community because it's not connected to the local economy, right? And one thing that we know can happen is because we're in a knowledge and information-based economy, that community can be connected, but it's gonna have to be connected by starting from within itself, right? So. To me, a smart city is going to be made up of a bunch of smart communities that are interconnected, right? And so what are the components of a smart community? A smart community will have smart facilities. It'll have smart houses. It will have smart communications between government and businesses, businesses and residences, and businesses outside the community. That's how you connect it in a, in a knowledge and information-based economy. But then the sustainability right the build so you can design something you can plan something that's where we're moving these kids into that space but then you still have to build it right and then once it's built you have to sustain it and all of that is going to require knowledge workers so if you've got 2,000 citizens in this undervalued community if i can get those 2,000 citizens to look at their community and come together and add value to your community when your community begins to have value they look at you differently. We can look at what happened in Tulsa and Black Wall Street and see that firsthand, right? To me, we spent too much time. Uh, we spent a lot of our time because of the awe and the, like, I can't believe this. They mind their own business. They were thriving, and it got burned down. But to me, I think we should have spent a lot of time, a lot more time, in talking about how did that community come from dirt to where it is? Because that part of the story is where the opportunity lies for our communities. Because to me, the next Black Wall Street is gonna be virtual. Look at us, you're in Chicago, I'm in Kansas City, we're having this conversation. Um, last year, our summer camp, when they closed down, COVID shut everything down, we moved our summer camp virtual. And when we moved it virtual, we didn't draw back, we actually expanded. I was able to get um, computer science majors from Florida A&M, Harris Stowe University, um, Missouri S&T, which is a highly ranked engineering school, he had moved to Houston. So I was able to get a better quality of college teachers who were actually pursuing and had knowledge in the stuff that we wanted to teach. But then I was also able to have actually two students join from the Chicago area that parents, they had nowhere to go. So they participated in our eight week summer camp. I was able to get 10 students from Ghana to participate in our eight week summer camp. And they're on a whole different time zone, right? So the opportunity is there, but there's a lot of work. There's a lot of adoption and a lot of, of there's a lot of work and education that we have to put in to make people see 
that there is a, a, an opportunity here for us to move out of living in survival mode, for us to be able to have information on our community so that we can use data and have our own narrative to say, this is what our community has, this is what our community needs, and if we can, and our if and statement is, let's, if we do this, we can move this community here and we'll employ X amount, we will graduate, X amount, and we will increase. Um, we will increase the number of black-owned, brown-owned businesses in our community to X amount. Looking at the as-is statement of the community, gathering the data, informing the community of that data, and then using that data so the community has its own narrative. And if a developer wants to come into the community with a lot of money, there's a community benefits agreement for that community. That means that community participates in that development. And here's our data. This is what we have. This is what we need. And your community benefit. If you want to come into this community, we welcome you. But we are going to stay in this community because we're indigenous to this community. This is our community. And in, in our community, we need to employ the people who live there, the people who kept that community breathing for decades before you showed up, right? Because nothing is just like, you come in and you're going to change things and forget about the past 40, 50 years. So the science, the technology, the culture is important, right? The culture is that it's very important, you know, maintaining the culture of a community so that the people that are there don't have to be uprooted and move to another area so you can build another high rise. So for me, connecting it to STEM is actually redefining a lot of the things and systems. I I still say that we, when people talk about affordable housing, they, they're looking at a, a lot, a building, and how can you repurpose it and usually set aside a, a percentage of affordable units. I think that the affordable housing needs to be redefined into the investment in the human capital to make people be able to afford housing. When we can start thinking like that, then you can start to, to, to bring up communities and you can expand who gets to participate in the community. I mean, in the, in the economy, I'm sorry. Nope, I understand. And, and what I, uh, the pivot that I, that I heard you just made kind of really sums things up, I think, really provocatively. You started out talking about an, an ACE team uh, in the village. Uh, you're looking at engineering design principles, and necessarily there's going to be conversation about systems as, as part of that. And now here you're talking about this connectivity uh, between uh, the STEAM and the local, state, national, and the cultures of those different communal aspects. And so there's this ecosystem uh, that I believe you're describing uh, that really does uh, have as the thread that's connecting uh, the components of that system be steam. And so as you think of it that way, it starts to bring that dream, I think, more into focus. Really quickly, before I hand things off for the next segment and welcome our co-host, can you talk to us about this point that you made in the pre-meeting uh, about authenticity and being purposeful in everything you do? And I'm particularly interested to see how you think that not only impacts what you do at ASTEAM, but how does it influence your thinking on failure? So authenticity, being purposeful, the work at ASTEAM, and your thoughts on failure. Can you speak to that? I can speak to that, but before I do, I have to tell you, Dr. Vaughn, you're good. Because sometimes people say I talk, <laughs> but you were able to connect the dots. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that. Um, yeah, it, mm -hmm. I'm going to be just, I'm just going to put this out here. There are, I'm going to throw a word out called poverty pimps, right? There's like, there's a crisis, like when COVID hit and students were not able to learn in certain communities because the district decided to go virtual. And then you had this group 
everybody showed up. You probably had a few that showed up in your city and said, oh, the digital divide. We've got to solve the digital divide. The digital divide is keeping us from teaching these poor black and brown babies. And we have to do something. We have to give them used computers. We have to give them hotspots. And, and we're raising money to do this and that. And, and I'm like, OK, yeah, y'all been talking about the digital divide since 1999 at the introduction of the internet. And we've seen hundreds and millions and millions of dollars thrown away at solving the digital divide. And that problem is still here. And there's been a lot of great trips to Barbados and Cancun off of that money that was thrown away towards solving the digital divide, right? And, and so uh, and, and, and so it's almost like we live off the poverty of your problems and we, 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 we go after grants. We chase grants like, you know, lawyers would chase accidents and, and we get funding and we get the photo op, we get the politician and we, and we, we say, okay, now we're, we're, we're good, we're addressing it, it was a success. And you say, okay, if it was a success, connect home. How many people in that public housing that you connected, how many of them are actually connected? And if they are connected, what are they using with that connectivity? Are they on MySpace or on Facebook taking a picture of the apple pie to get ready to eat? Are they, what are they using it for? Are they using it to put themselves into the economy? And you're not addressing that. You're just saying, all we gotta do is give them internet, all we gotta do is give them connect, uh, a, a device and, and, and the digital divide problem is solved. And so there was no authenticity, Dr. Vaughn, in that approach. And at the end of the day, when you do that for decades, guess what? Who pays the price? Those families living in survival mode. They're not graduating. They're not getting the, 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 the degrees needed to be able to get and fill all of these high paying jobs that you know that are available. They're right there to, for the taking, right? You don't see, I just had five, five graduating high school students, black and brown, that started with us to teach in our summer camp. And would you believe that not one of them heard about NSBE, the National Society of Black Engineers? Not one of them heard about BDPA. And so if none of them heard about NSBE and none of them heard about BDPA, then they haven't heard about Chevron and the millions of dollars is poured into Nesby for scholarships for black and brown kids that you can apply for as a senior, right? So if you don't see the opportunities and you don't make those opportunities aware, then you have to wonder, okay, if our mission is to help you get into the economy using STEM education, if we're not helping you to get in the economy and you ask me, give me a, show me where you're doing that and I can't show you those data, I'm not being authentic about our mission. And everything that's done in the dark always comes to light, right? And um, we can't change the existing system, but I do believe we can create another system so that there's a choice. And as long as I can point to an Anthony Gant that came to us as a fifth grader, competed all the way up to the 11th grade and the 12th grade, he went to the Nesby Convention and he left Kansas City with $30,000 in scholarship money, and he's now a sophomore at Arizona State pursuing automotive engineering. As long as I can point to those, I can feel good about my sleep. I can feel good about our work because, and I can get him to come back and say, oh yeah, by the way, I, I, I did this and this program helped me to do this. Oh, look at Kyle. Kyle is a graduating senior who's going to KU, has a 4.2 GPA. He's been with us three years. He had a 35 on his ACT. He doesn't have to pay for college. And his twin brother is going to Harvard. Doesn't have to pay for college. And oh, look over here, Justin. Oh yeah, he's a camp co-director, right? He's graduating from Lincoln um, University in um, December, right? And he's only gonna have $18,000 in college debt at the time he graduates. And oh look, as long as I can point them to this, and so just think about it, those kids that showed up on our doorstep that had no clue, look at all, if they had known about them in eighth grade or ninth grade, and they got 3.0, 4.0 GPAs, what would that economic impact be for them to go into college? Because at the end of the day, all of this comes back to the economy. Whether you're talking about college, whether you're talking about entrepreneurship, whether you're talking about workforce. 
it all goes back to the economy and economics, right? And if I can, if I can go to college, get my degree in a field that's that they need, there's a demand for my talent in that field, and I can emerge from college without a big debt. Now I can write my own ticket, and I don't have to live in survival mode, which means my decision making and my thought processes are going to be totally different. Wow, that was such a critically important message. Thank you for making that connection between purpose, authenticity, and what is on the flip side, actually, of failure. Listen, I am going to hand off to Lango Dean, uh, our co-host, to take us on this conversation. Thank you so much, Mr. Wells, for a really engaging conversation. You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn, Lango Dean, and our special guest, Executive Director of A-Steam Village, William Wells Jr. Registration for the 2021 Women of Color STEM Conference is now open. Stay tuned for a message from our sponsor. Running from October 7th through the 9th, 2021, don't miss out on the upcoming Women of Color STEM Conference. Since 1995, the Women of Color STEM Conference has been the premier forum of choice for recognizing the significant contributions by women in STEM fields. General registration opens on April 30th, 2021. Don't miss out on the opportunity to meet and learn from executives who are committed to the advancement of women in the workplace. Again, general registration opens on April 30th, 2021. We hope to see you there. Please visit www.womenofcolor.net for more information. Again, registration for the 2021 Women of Color STEM Conference is now open. So visit www.womenofcolor.net for more information. Now, back to the show. Good morning, Mr. Wells. It's good to have you on the show. Fascinating conversation between you and Dr. Vaughn. Uh, as we speak, and you know, the your 2021 Summer STEAM Experience of Kids is ongoing. Uh, it's an eight week uh, summer camp. So to your point, how are you getting more kids like Anthony and Kyle to join the program? Because you talked about, you know, people in the dark, people who've never heard of Nesby, people who've never heard of, you know, other programs that you think they would have heard of by now. BDPA, which has been around for what, 40, 50 years? Nesby yeah. has been around for about the same time. So how are you getting more people who don't know about this program? Well, let's start with the eight-week summer program. How are you getting more people on board? Whether it's people coming in, I know you have limited spaces, but how about people who can join virtually? How are you doing that? Uh, one key word, I heard it on Saturday Night Live, they were imitating George Bush. It's called strategery, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm very, very excuse me, being very strategic. Um, of course, there's word of mouth. Of course, there's retention. Those, those uh, kids that teach in our program go off to college, come back the following summer to teach in the program. But we're also starting to catch the eye of some other partners that are very dedicated and committed to making sure that we serve the youth in an authentic and impactful way. So the Royals Baseball Urban Youth Academy, they've got 50 students that they're doing in a summer camp. And they reached out to us to add a STEM education component to the camp. And so we were responsible for the entire day, week one. And then we, we have two hours of engagement with those 50 students um, for the remaining 10 weeks. That camp goes 10 weeks. Then we have um, Kansas City Parks and Rec. Very first time they reached out to us, the third district councilwoman who's been a very staunch ally of ours 
she um, wanted to have a summer camp in the third district. And so there was nothing being done at Greg Price Community Center. So we said, we'll put a STEAM camp in there. They broke out some space for us. And so we've got 20 students that we're serving there. And then we decided to have open up our facility and have a limited on site. And so some of our students that are in our summer camp, they were with us pre-COVID in summer camp, they came back. Um, some of the students that are new, they just heard from somebody who had been in our fall, winter and spring program and they decided to come into this summer camp because our summer camp is our onboarding for our fall, winter and spring program. We are a year round program, right? And then um, our online camp of 29 kids that are doing robotics and video game design and animation, that's to, through the University of Kansas, which we've been working with their Gear Up and their Trio Talent Search program. And so just the, the partnerships, the strategy of word of mouth and then partnering with organizations that are authentically trying to work with kids in a sustained way, a year-round basis. And um, that's how we're, we're actually growing our, growing our network. What would you say to, I, I know you, you know, word of mouth, nothing beats that, especially when you're growing a community-based organization or, or business, anything that serves uh, the community, uh, nothing beats word of mouth. But how would you, what would you say to parents listening now who, you know, still kind of thinking about it, not sure, what would you say to them? What kind of impact would you know, joining a program like this, because you say it's year round. So it's not just the summer, the summer camp part of it, it's year round. What would you say to those parents listening in now? I would say that the investment of your time to put your kids in our program and put them with our coaches and mentors, which are college students and also professionals, it has a return on investment um, when it's time to go to college. It has an economic return. And oh, by the way, if you're working um, as an administrative assistant for $20,000, $25,000 a year, um, you could take six months of certification and see that 25 go to 50 in a tech job. Same type of skill set, but just having a couple of certifications, which we do the prep for the certifications and we help you get the certifications. So yeah, participation in the economy, the investment of time in your children now and understand if they are pursuing athletics, they can do both. They need to do both because the, I think the professional athlete in their lifetime, they sign one or two contracts. But then um, the one thing about robotics and STEM, um, it's a buzz line that the late Woody Flowers said, the one thing about it is 100% of the students that participate in these brain sport programs like robotics, race car engineering, game design, high school computer competition, 100% of them will go pro because there's a job out there for them. That's wonderful. You shared a couple of success stories with us. Uh, one uh, with Anthony, who I think is a, a sophomore student now, and then Kyle, who's graduating, I think, with a 4.0. Uh, mm -hmm. So those are great. I'm sure you have many more success stories that you share. but. I'm wondering now what people like Anthony and Kyle tell, you know, their companions, their friends, you know, who have the same dream. So what would they say to students who are, you know, looking at them, inspired by them, motivated by them? What would you say to those students about having dreams and pursuing those dreams? Well, um, <laughs> Being able to continue to dream, right, is important. And a lot of those, you know, some kids, they get an F in the eighth grade on a test and they allow that F to define them. And then once you let something else define you, you stop dreaming, right? And so the beautiful thing about us not being a school um, is we can tell them, we can say, hey, getting an F is a part of the process and it doesn't define you. What defines you is how you make that F become an A and knowing that you're going to have to make it become a D, make it become a C, make it become a B before it can become an A. The flip side of that coin is those kids that have gone to Title I schools and they get straight A's, 
and then they go to take an entrance exam to a Lincoln Academy and they don't pass it. And the parent is like, my kid's a, a straight A student, right? So even the A in the school system doesn't define you and it doesn't guarantee you success because it may get you into that college. But then when you take that entrance test and you find yourself having to go in and take remedial classes, that in and of itself is a blow, right? And it's an unnecessary blow. But if you can, if they go in and they get that bad score on that entrance exam and they understand the process that Fs don't define you and that Fs are opportunities, you know, then that's a totally different mindset. And, and if we're teaching that, then they're going to be able to attain successes um, because they're not going to look at problems as barriers. They're going to look at them as opportunities and they're going to continue to work through them. And then when you go into conflict resolution, somebody with that mindset is going to resolve conflict differently than somebody that says, well, the only way I can resolve this conflict is to hurt or maim me. I think what you're saying, in other words, it's like building confidence in the kids because it, that is something that it takes a while to come along. I mean, you could grow up in the most secure environment and sometimes as a child, your confidence just <laughs> takes a hit at the littlest things. So, you know, having that, building that confidence or being in environments where that confidence is, is uh, reinforced again and again and again to face life's challenges is just, is just great. Tell us about the importance of the A in STEAM and why you say that everyone is an engineer. Okay. Yeah, the A in STEAM, which a lot of people say are arts, is actually a little late for me because it's, to me it's arts, it's aerospace, it's architecture, it's agriculture, right? And there's science and math and all of those, right? Um, so, for, but the A, the arts, that's the culture, right? Um, we are very creative people and you think about creativity is what you need to be in order to be able to be a cybersecurity expert because you have to think creatively you have to think two or three steps ahead of that person that's trying to compromise your system and so if you do not have that creativity if you do not have that flexibility to be agile and adjust on the fly and you have to do things reading off the script, you're not gonna be as creative and probably not as successful as that, that young person or that elderly person that is very creative. So for me, the arts and the creativity is, that is the, at the core of it and it powers the science and the engineering. So um, yeah, everybody is an engineer. And, and <laughs> it's amazing on the reason why there's a Nesby right because there was no network of blacks pursuing engineering or it was difficult and so to to go to that comment is this one of the things that we do is we re, we lower the bar of the definition of the engineer to actually i don't say it's lowering the bar that's probably the wrong term but we basically make it know that it's attainable to anybody and everybody because everybody's an engineer engineers what's that definition they solve problems to make people's lives better, right? And one thing that every person walking on this planet is going to have are problems, and they have to solve those problems, right? And so, um, or they have to pay somebody for their solution to solve that problem. And so that's why I say that everybody walking this planet is an engineer, because we all want to have good lives. We're all going to have to have problems, and we're all going to have to solve those problems in order to have a good life. And so it's about the mindset and the mentality of looking at problems and how we address them, how we resolve them, and how we push forward. That's wonderful. I like the way you just demystify the, the word and the term and the profession, engineer and engineering. Before I turn it back to Dr. Vaughn, could you quickly tell us again how parents can get in touch with your organization, whether it's for the summer or for year-round programs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they can go to our website, which is, it's really pronounced as team, A-S-T-E-A-M, village.org. So as, as, as teamvillage.org, 
A-S-T-E-A-M-V-I-L-L-A-G-E.org, or they can call us at 816-535-0939. And if they want to come into our lab and see firsthand what we're doing, uh, Thursday, September 16th, we're having a open house, um, our annual fundraiser. We touch children every day, but we only raise funds once a year. And uh, we're bringing in Justin Schaefer, who was featured on Soul of the Nation, talking about STEM. He's going to be our keynote um, that evening. And we're bringing in Dominic Hammond, as a musical guest, a hip-hop violinist that you may have seen. And so if they want to come in and actually see firsthand, because I'm telling everybody, the kids gave us the building for the day. And so we're going to have a lot of their racing and robotics and balloon pop stuff set up so that the corporate sponsors and the adults that come in can actually see how we immerse them in these programs. Sounds exciting. Sounds really exciting. Well, thank you, Mr. Wells. It's been great talking to you this morning. Um, thank you, over Lango. to you, Dr. Vaughn. Thanks a lot, Lango. I tell you what, I have just really enjoyed this conversation, Mr. Wells, and I'm glad that Lango uh, actually put that plug in to let us know, let the audience know how they can connect, because this really is not only a great opportunity uh, for people to sow into this ministry, I'll put it that way, but also an opportunity to get connected uh, in terms of the work that they're doing in their communities. So before we wrap up, we always like to have our guests leave our audience with some words of encouragement, words of enlightenment, inspiration. Uh, so what, what closing thought would you share with us as we wrap up our conversation today? Wow, that's a difficult one. Um, I, I, I'm just going to put it like this. We're in a knowledge and information-based economy. There's so much untapped talent in our community. And it, I'm hoping, I just got a call from our church about bringing our STEM program into the church. And I think that the church is, this is the opportunity for the church to actually scale this and actually grow stronger with engagement by reaching out to you and allowing this to be a part of what they're teaching in the community because you think about it, what we're talking about are four pillars, right? Character and leadership, you get that from the church. Educational advancement, the church helps you with that. They can help you with that. They have traditionally helped with that. You're, you're talking about health and wellness, right? And not just physical, but spiritual health and wellness. The church helps you with that. Um, economic advancement, you know, the church has always been like one of the pillars of economics of the community. And so to, to the, for my thing is there's an opportunity to right the wrongs in a lot of communities and reach an entire population of young adults and get them back into the church by just making this a component of that offering because it does go hand in hand with spiritual advancement. What a great way to wrap up this conversation. Mr. William Wells, thank you so much for taking the time to enlighten us today about a STEAM dream. And I'm telling you, we certainly appreciate you inspiring us uh, to be part of living that dream as well. You take care and uh, we look forward to staying in touch. Dr. Vaughn, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure meeting you and speaking with you. and. Um, I hope I did do the guys well. <laughs> you absolutely did. All right, Brandon Newby, back to you to take us out. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communications Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, and this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page. 
in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time. Nominations for the 2022 Bayes STEM Conference are now open. Do you have someone in your organization who goes above and beyond? Nominate them for a 2022 Bayes STEM Conference Award. Please visit www.ccgheroes.com for more details on our nomination process. All peer-reviewed nominations are due on August 31st, 2021. All Outstanding Achievement Award nominations are due on October 1st, 2021. Again, please visit www.ccgheroes.com for more details on our nomination process.